15 minutes past seven on Radio Veritas. If you just joined us, a Catholic radio station. My name is Father Emil, and with me on the line is my good friend, Father Russell Pollard. Good morning, Russell. Good morning, Father Emil. Mm, how are you this morning? Very well, and yourself? Yeah, I'm very, very well. I hope you had enough sleep last night. Uh, I think I did. <laughs> <laughs> Russell, let's uh, let's have a look. I mean, all sorts of things. This uh, month of July, I always remember the month of July is the month of the Jesuits because you celebrate your um, your feast day on the thirty first of this month. And we thought let's let's talk a little bit about the Jesuits, the Society of Jesus. Um, you know, you and I, or we, the, the Jesuit Society and the Dominicans, have always been at loggerheads, but no more. I think we're all holding hands and dancing together now, aren't we? <laughs> Tell us yes, something. We, 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 we've forgiven you for what you did to St. Ignatius. <laughs> <laughs> but I think St. Ignatius actually wanted to be a Dominican at one stage. Well, Didn't... you know, it's a very interesting story because it was really reading the lives of the saints, Francis mm. and Dominic, yeah. that inspired his... Uh, conversion. Mm. Um, for, for people who don't know, I mean, Ignatius was a soldier. He was a man who was uh, seeking after great things in, in, the, in the world of knighthood. He was a courtier in many palaces. Um, he was a man who, uh, you know, had an eye for the, for the ladies. And uh, he goes to war mm. when the Spanish are fighting in a place called Pamplona against mm. the French. And mm. he um, gets hit by a cannonball and shatters his leg. Mm-hmm. And he's very worried about this, and he he has various operations to fix this. And uh, he spends a time of convalescence in a castle in Loyola, where he where he comes from there. And um, he um, he starts to read religious books because there's nothing else for him to do, and he's bored out of his mind. Yeah. And he starts to look at you know the lives of saints and Francis and Dominic. Uh, are people that he says, well, you know, I want to be like them. And then he has daydreams about being a knight and finding a, a wonderful woman and all this kind of stuff. And he starts to notice the qualitative difference between those two daydreams, the one of wanting to be like Francis or Dominic or one of the saints and follow Christ and the sort of worldly way that he himself is thinking. And it's it's in that moment that he starts to realize, well, there's something there's something more here. And it's really where the discernment is born in, in the life of Ignatius, just noticing the qualitative difference. Mm. And uh, then he begins uh, his journey to, uh, to conversion, and eventually he, he founds the Society of Jesus. Tell me, uh, Russell, did he, was he alone, or did he have colleagues that sort of helped him and encouraged him along the way at, the, at that stage in his life? No, initially he was alone. So he leaves Loyola when he's able to, to walk again. Mm. And um, he does these strange things, like swaps his clothes with a beggar. You know, I mean, he'd he'd sort of read what Francis and Dominic had done in terms of poverty. Mm. He goes, uh, he decides to, uh, you know, go on a, a journey. He, he, he determines to visit the Holy Land. He thinks that if he goes to the Holy Land and walks in the footsteps of Christ, you know, this will this will point what he needs to do. But he, he goes to a place called Montserrat. There's a massive uh, monastery there. He lays down his sword there at that monastery in front of the shrine of Our Lady of Montserrat, and he um, and he begins a time of of prayer and fasting and moves from Montserrat to Manresa, not a long way, it's a day's walk, and spends a you know a year in a cave there where the spiritual exercises are born. So 
his initial, his kind of initial time is really alone time, contemplative time, almost like a hermit. Mm. He spends he spends his time in Manuisa writing, uh, or taking notes on on what he notices in his life, which is the beginnings of the spiritual exercises. And it's only later on that he begins to gather companions who he wants to give these spiritual exercises to. So he's filled with enthusiasm now because he has written, uh, you know, down these notes and these spiritual exercises have taken shape. And then he approaches certain individuals, so people like uh, Francis Xavier and Pierre Favre, and he invites them to to do these spiritual exercises. And the funny thing is Xavier rejected him, and Xavier played very hard to get. He wasn't interested, and eventually Ignatius just uh, you know, sort of chipping away, as they say, at the block, and and then uh, Xavier agrees to do these spiritual exercises. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe he agreed to, to get Ignatius off his back. We don't know. But um, he does them, and uh, that's how he gathers companions. So the first, the initial period is, is pretty much a, almost, a, you know, an ascetical, you know, hermit-type life. Yeah. But tell me, was he an intellectual? I mean, did he study at universities and all? Because you always hear about the the the, the spiritual exercises. But uh, the Jesuits are a very intellectual order. They made a very big contribution in the history of the church. In fact, in the whole intellectual field, was he an intellectual himself? I wouldn't describe Ignatius as an intellectual, which is quite interesting. I mean, I think Ignatius. I mean, initially, when he when he decides he wants to be a priest, he has to go and study. Mm-hmm. And he, he realizes he doesn't even have the basics. And so he goes back to grammar school with boys, and he tells stories of how, you know, these boys lost at him. There was this sort of older man trying to study the very basics of Latin grammar. You know, he, he didn't do, he, you know, he made it, but it doesn't strike me as someone who was absolutely brilliant, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so he, he gets through and he, he studies and, uh, you know, he, he gets the degree that he wants. The intellectual thing really comes... I'd say after he's founded the society, that they recognize. I mean, he spends his life, even with his early companions, teaching catechism to children. I mean, teaching children catechism was a big issue for Ignatius, you know, just spending time talking to him. And he he asked the early companions to do that. But the real intellectual tradition, it seems to me, comes when there's a foundation of many schools in in places where Jesuits are. I mean, the, the early society is known for its colleges. Ignatius realizes in the aftermath of the Reformation that one of the areas where the church is sorely lacking is education. Mm-hmm. And so he begins to open uh, colleges, Jesuits open colleges in Spain, in Portugal, you know, in Italy, all mm-hmm. over the place. Mm-hmm. And the intellectual tradition really grows from that. Um, I, you know, I think Ignatius was a very smart guy, but if you talk about someone who was smart in terms of being a professor in a university, mm-hmm. this is certainly not uh, the Ignatius uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, yeah. that would not be a very accurate picture of him. But you know, you know, Russell, the, the thing I love about the Jesuits um, is, is that you've got this intellectual tradition and this, uh, this, this dedication to study and writing and teaching and that sort of thing. And yet when I went to uh, to South America, for example, I was so impressed with the Jesuits I met there. They were working in the poblaciones, in the in the slums and, and, and places like that. They were, I, I thought to myself at one stage, I said, hell, these guys are so normal. I could be like them myself. You've just got such a wide variety of, of interests in, in, in the Jesuit society. Yes, for sure. And I think that that's also part of the genius of Ignatius. So, 
I mean, he, you know, he writes, remember, to understand the society, one has to kind of understand the military in a way, or Ignatius' idea of the military. Mm. So he writes the constitutions, and he, he, he tries to prescribe many things in the constitutions. Um, and those constitutions have not been changed. We still have the same ones that he wrote. They haven't been, you know, uh, sort of rewritten or anything like that. Mm. But his key thing is, as well, even for guys who are doing the highest of work, people who are chaplains to maybe some of the monarchs in, in Europe at the time, mm. or, you know, running these big cottages, he's absolutely insistent on the fact that they also have daily contact or regular contact with the poor, with people who live on the margins. Mm. Um, and, and this is very important for Ignatius. Mm. Um, and so there's this kind of sense of, you know, even though you, you might find fellows who are university professors, somewhere in their Jesuit life, there has to be contact with the marginalized, with the poor, with people, with ordinary people. Mm. And he, he's very, very clear on that. And I, think, and I think that today, for the most part, many Jesuits are still sort of formed in, in that mindset, mm. right from the initial training that we get. Yeah. You know, one of the things you do in the novitiate, for example, is you are sent to work in a hospital. Uh, you know, you're sent to work in a hospice. Mm-hmm. You're sent to work at a place like Lash. Mm-hmm. You know, these are these are these are the foundational experiences. Even during studies, you're sent to work in these kinds of places. So there's always this connection between, you know, the intellectual and the pastoral, or mm-hmm. or, or, or just being where people are, where right. where people are living out the daily struggles of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, Russell, you know, time is moving on, but let's just focus a little bit on South Africa, your work in South Africa. How long have you been here? Give us a little bit of the, the history of the Jesuits in this country. Jesuits came here in the late 1880s. Um, they weren't really coming to South Africa. They were, they, were, they were being sent by the English province at the time. It was, it's now the British province, but the English province at the time. They were being sent to the Zambezi Mission, which was Zimbabwe, and they came on a ship and they got off around Grahamstown, and uh, the guys then went from there, trekked inland to, to uh, you know, Harare. What happened was some Jesuits stayed behind when they landed to wait for the next batch to come. And so uh, you, there, was a, there was a sort of Jesuit presence there, but the plan was never to have Jesuits in South Africa. The, the territory had already been, uh, you know, looked after by the Oblates of Mary Immaculate and, and various other... Um, um, religious congregations. So these fellows stay, and while they're kind of hanging around, you know, they start to do various things. You know, they they work in Dunbrody, and they they do a bit of, you know, missionary work, and eventually Grahamstown, the school, St. Aidan's develops, and uh, there's a more permanent presence there. The Bishop of Port Elizabeth asked them to look after the school, and if you trace the the sort of way up to what was then the Zambezi mission, you can see how along the the sort of way that those Jesuits would have traveled were places where, where kind of Jesuits stuck around for a while. Um, so that, the Jesuits came in the late 1880s. Uh, we ran St. Aidan's. Uh, you know, we had parishes in various places. Uh, we had, um, uh, you know, uh, we did work in seminaries. Uh, you know, at that school, unfortunately, St. Aidan's was closed in 1972. Uh, there was a, a conflict with people overseas, and because it was still under the English province, uh, Rome sent a visitator, and the visitator recommended that the school be closed. Uh, there was also financial problems at the school, so St. Aidan's was closed. And since then, you know, we've had men who have worked, as I say, in parishes, giving retreats, uh, you know, doing workshops, uh, kind of formation thing for, for clergy. 
and uh, then also um, you know big big work done around things uh, like Jesuit refugee service. Uh, we still have big operations in in Johannesburg and Pretoria. Uh, we had people teaching at places like Sadara, St. Joseph's, and also St. John Vianney. And, um, you know, in many ways, just trying to respond to where the need is greatest. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was, for Ignatius, that was a very key thing, that it's not about us choosing a mission, that we are at the service of the local church and do what the local church asks us to do. And and that's pretty much been the pattern in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a place called... I think it was called Fleersfontein. Uh, maybe that was the stopover where the, the oxen had to have a rest when the Jesuits were on their way to Zimbabwe. Yeah, I mean, you know, Dunbrody, Fleersfontein, all those sorts of places in the, in the Eastern Cape. I mean, oh, there were, there were Jesuits is. there. Yes. There's a very funny story that the, the um, Trappists, who, who eventually landed up in Marion Hill, yes. they came out of uh, Dunbrody and they tried to farm there, and the farm was a monumental failure. I mean, yeah. these Germans just couldn't make the farm work. <laughs> and so in the complete stupidity of the Jesuits, they took over the farm uh-huh. from, the, from the Benedictines, uh, from the Trappists. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it was a monumental failure. I mean, yeah. if the German trappers couldn't farm. What the hell? The English Jesuits are thinking that they could farm is another story. Um, but it's quite a, with, quite with their noses with their noses in the air. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. As, 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 as some Jesuits describe that, you know, the arrogance of some of our brothers. You know? <laughs> Listen, Russell, um, so, so you've had quite an input, quite a contribution to make in South Africa in formation of priests and so on. But, but now you're working at the Institute. Tell us a bit about the Institute, what they call the Jesuit Institute, because I think this is a wonderful idea where you have a kind of a combined um, apostolate together as a brotherhood, as a, as a group of Jesuits. Tell us a little bit about the Institute. So what happened was, you know, for, for, for most of the Jesuit history in South Africa, we'd always been doing or helping to run other people's works. In diocese, we helped bishops, but we didn't, we, they were not Jesuit parishes, but they were parishes that we staffed on behalf of the diocese. So yeah. We worked in the seminary, we helped the bishops to, to form priests. And Father General Korvenbach in the, in the, in the 90s said, it's time for the Jesuits in South Africa to have their own visible Jesuit apostolate. Mm-hmm. And so there was a long period of 10 years where this was discussed. Should we open a school? Should we do this? Should we do that? Should we do the next thing? Mm. And eventually this idea of an institute was conceptualized that could respond to various different things, theologically, in terms of spirituality, in terms of politics, in terms of media, or commentary. Uh, you know, And at one stage we were even looking at things like offering um, some sort of philosophy branch as well. Mm. And so the Institute was born 10 years ago. In fact, we're celebrating on the 1st of August uh, 10 years. The Institute's 10 years old, 2007. And um, these kind of, it's kind of meant to be an eclectic uh, institute where we try and respond to the needs of the time. It's not like there's a school and so we have to do, you know, we, we have to enroll people and teach all the time. It, it's, it's more flexible than that. And Ignatius was very big on not having... Uh, uh, bricks and mortar, but being mobile, being able to go where the need is greater. I mean, you know, so much of the imagery that Pope Francis uses, you can see where he's getting this from. He talks about the field hospital. You know, when, when you finish work and then you pack up and move off, you've done your job. And so the Institute was conceptualized as something like that, mm-hmm. giving retreats, 
but not owning a retreat house, going to other retreat houses so you can make retreats widely available all over the place where there are retreat houses. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's the work of the Institute, is trying to build bridges between faith and society, so looking out towards the world and saying, you know, how can the church contribute, but also looking within the church and saying, well, how can we enrich, how can we help people reflect, how can we how can we help people to to find things out theologically to make things available uh, to you know create dialogue get people talking mm. get people thinking you've been doubling in media there tell us a bit about your multimedia project well children have always dabbled in media in one way or another i'd say um and i i think for us it's it's not media is not an end in itself but media is a tool to get the message out there and, you know, this comes in various different forms. So there's educational messages, and we know there's many people that are doing that. One looks at some of the, the big and wonderful things that have been done all over the world by the church to, to get the good news out there. If you think of things like you know, what Radio Veritas is doing, or you, or you look at things like Word on Fire, what Bishop Barron is doing in the States, etc., etc. Mm. That, that's one way of doing it. Another way is saying, well, you know, the church needs to have a voice. The church needs to be heard. We don't just want to hear the bad stories about the church. We want the church to participate in the narrative of the political dispensation or the church to say something about what's happening in education or say something you know, that's happening about uh, poverty or, or development or things like that. And so it's, it's a question of how does one get the voice of the church into the narrative of the day? You know, How does one help people in the media to reflect on you know, the way that we do things, not just not just putting words out there or images out there, but the way that we do things. And we're living in a culture that's moving more and more, I would say, from a textual to a visual. To, we've, I think we've even skipped over the audio in a way, uh, you know, much faster than, than what people initially thought. I mean, I thought we thought podcasts and things would be around for ages, and now suddenly, you know, things like videos are, are really taking over. So how do we use... The, the, the things that people are watching, the, the, the places where people are, uh, you know, uh, the kind of battlefield of life. How do we use those things to make sure mm-hmm. that the message of the church and ultimately Jesus Christ is in, in the midst of that? Mm-hmm. I think, and that's what we're trying to do in, in, in different ways. I, I, don't, I, feel, I don't for one minute think we've got it right. I think we're dabbling. I think mm-hmm. we are really dabbling. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to find a way that may just reach out, mm-hmm. uh, that may just help people... Uh, to live lives which are, which are fully human and fully alive. Father Russell, you're, you're the director of the Jesuit Institute. Have you got a particular vision that you're driving at? Yes, I think so. I mean, I think, I think that original thing of the Institute was founded to build bridges between faith and society and to expand the horizons of hope. I mean, that's what, that's what the kind of byline is of, of, of the Jesuit Institute. And, and so in as many ways as we can do that, I mean, I'm, I'm de- I'm detecting more and more that we live in an increasingly maybe anti-faith society or anti-religious society or even anti-church society, and yet there's a deep yearning for spirituality. There's a deep yearning for connection. I mean, so many people are feeling alienated from themselves, alienated from those around them. We live in a, in a very kind of harsh world. Um, so you're trying to offer people those spiritual tools yeah. in many different ways. You know, meeting people where they are rather than saying you have to, this is the prescription, you have to, you have to do all these things, but saying, okay, this is, this is what you're searching for. Let's, let's find a way together. So, so journeying with people 
in that uh, in that sort of spiritual journey, I think is a very important part of the vision of the institute. And I think the other thing is to to try and to uh, you know help create a church or build a church that is able to speak sensibly to the to the minds and the hearts of men and women in our world today, to men and women of goodwill. Mm. Um, so that means at times we're working with people who are not necessarily uh, Catholic. Yeah. Sometimes they're not necessarily Christian. Sometimes they're not necessarily even believers. But there's goodwill. They want to see the kind of world that, that Jesus lays out. They want, to, they want to live in a kind of world that is that uh, vision of the Beatitudes. And how do we help mm. uh, to, to build that kind of world? How do we, how do we use this enthusiasm, the, the inspiration, that people have the energy that people have to build that kind of world. How do we dialogue with them? How do we network with them? How do we go about doing that? And then I think the third thing is to tackle the the issues that we really need to tackle. Sometimes they they are the hard issues. Sometimes they are the issues we don't want to talk about. You know, whether it's racism or whether it's um, you know the role of woman or whether it's homosexuality or whether it's corruption. Those kinds of things that we shy away from, mm. and sometimes. In the church, we, we, we don't even want to hear about it, talk mm, about mm. Uh, we, we can't run away from these realities. And how do we talk about them in ways that are respectful, ways that are sensitive, but ways as well that help us move forward rather than just get us into a knot of, mm. of sh- shouting and screaming at each mm. other? Russell, we have to leave it there. We've gone a little bit over time, but thank you very, very much for sharing with us about the Jesuit Society. And from all of us at Radio Veritas and all our listeners, we wish you a very, very happy feast day of your founder, St. Ignatius. Thank you very much. God bless you and have a wonderful day.